you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, the verses that we're going to be looking at today um, are in your bulletin. If you open it to the back cover, they're on that inside white sheet there. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 13 today, but we're going to focus, I'm sorry, we're going to start reading in verse 1 um, so that we can catch the context. This has been part of a series that we've been in. This is the eighth week, and so you'll, you'll see and remember things we've talked about up to this point. But this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. Friends, listen. This is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for... If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign also with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. So there's a book uh, written by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. Uh, and the subtitle is, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. And he's got an amazing TED Talk on this as well. Uh, where, and what he does is he trains leaders in business to know how to truly inspire people. And, and he starts by asking the question, why do you exist? Why do you exist? And he's not just talking about people, he's talking about companies. Why does your company exist? Why does your organization exist? What's your purpose? Why should anyone care? that you are on the earth. And he says this, he says, most companies focus on what they do and how they do it, but inspiration comes from why. The best companies have clarity of why. And he says, take Apple. Apple computer, he said, if Apple was like everyone else, their marketing message might be this. Hey, we make great computers. They're beautifully designed and they're simple to use. Want to buy one? But then he says, here's what Apple actually communicates in their advertising and in their marketing. He says, in everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking different, or differently, if you want to be grammatically correct. And he says, the way that we challenge the status quo, the status quo of a monolith monopoly like Microsoft, the status quo of the music industry with iTunes. The way we do this is by making products that are beautifully designed and simple to use. Want to buy one? 
He says, because Apple focuses on the why, their message actually reflects who they are as much as it reflects what they do. And that's what's inspiring. It makes them worth following because the why of Apple makes us feel like buying an Apple product makes us a part of their why. And so focusing on the why, it's not just vital for business, but it's also good for the church. So often Christians and churches get hung up on what to do and what not to do, um, and they lose the why. And in Christianity, if you tell people what to do without the why, that becomes legalism. Right? That becomes a religion of rules. It becomes empty ritualism. It loses both power and practicality. But it's the why that inspires. It's the why that makes you or makes Christianity worth following. The why is what gives life. It gives eternal life. And so what we're going to see today, this is the first blank in your bulletin, that leaders worth following, they know their why. They know the answer to why do you exist. There is something in every leader who is worth following. At the core of his or her being, there's something that lies at the heart of who that leader is, and it drives what they do. Think about it. Have you ever tried to follow someone else? Um, So often, I know in my experience, I've tried to follow other people by doing what they do. And I'll try to adopt some of their best practices, and I'll find that after a week or two, or maybe three, or sometimes even a month, I'll feel a little bit wooden about the things that I'm doing. I'll feel like I don't really understand what is in the heart of this person I'm trying to follow, and I'm not getting sort of transformative results. I feel like I'm just sort of doing some stuff, and then it pretty much loses meaning after a while. Well, that happens because I'm focused on the what and not the why. Right? To truly follow someone else, you have to understand their why, not just their what. Or you'll be chasing what they do relentlessly. Okay? If you don't ever get at the why, you'll never really be following them with any kind of understanding, with any kind of, um, with any kind of um, thing that, transform, that, that might actually have an impact and transform you. Um, here's a great quote by John Maxwell. He says, there's two great days in a person's life. The day they were born and the day they discovered why. Do you know why you were born? Do you know the purpose that God has for you? Knowing your why is a huge part of becoming a leader. It's because when you can when you know your why and you can share your why with someone else, that person can go from imitating what you do to embodying why you do it. One creates unthinking lemmings, right? Just sort of mindless followers. Um, The other creates life. It creates people who actually understand um, and can multiply what you do. The why lets people learn and follow without forcing them to be something they're not. Okay? Okay. So often, leadership can demand that other people do certain things, and it just doesn't fit the person, right? When it's focused on the what, the person, it just may not be a fit, but when you know the why, if others follow and embody the why, they can still be themselves, 
It can be their version of it. And so, in these verses that we're looking at today, we're going to get to see Paul's why. Okay, the reason we're talking about this why is because Paul actually, in verse 10, tells us why he exists. And this gives us a window into the, literally the secret. This is what lay at the heart of Paul, and it motivated and fueled everything that Paul did. Right? When you think about all that Paul has been through, Right? When you think about the beatings, the torture, the mockery, the, um, the suffering, the, I mean, he lists it in certain places in the Bible. When you think about all that he did, this passage teaches us why. And when we see Paul's why, it's going to let us and help us identify our why and evaluate it and maybe change it to his. And so what we're going to see first about Paul's why is that for Paul, his why was that he was living for others. Paul would say, you want to know my why? It's live for others. Look at verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. This is why Paul existed. This is why Paul went through everything that he went through. He was living for the sake of others. So have you ever thought about, like, what was it inside of Paul? Like, what was it that made him think? I mean, you might think, well, it's because Jesus appeared to him. Well, no, that's not why, actually. It's not why Paul did what he did. Paul says here he was willing to, I mean, to endure mockery, accusation, stress, conflict, torture, imprisonment. He was still able to celebrate God in the midst of his situations because he knew that God put him on the earth for the sake of others. Okay? He lived for the sake of others. If your why has something to do with you, it cannot make you happy. Okay? If your why has something to do with you, it will never make you happy. Here's a quote from Viktor Frankl. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. This is what happens. Why do we spend so much of our time frittering after worthless things? It's because we lack meaning. It's because we're not in touch with our why. It's not in touch with why we exist. If your why is for yourself, your pleasure, your comfort, your career, for your retirement, the problem is that too much is outside of your control. And there's too much stuff that you just can't control. Your success and your happiness is dependent on things that are beyond your ability to control. And what this does is breeds a preoccupation with yourself. It breeds a self-centeredness that cannot be satisfied. Back to Simon Sinek, the author of Start With Why. He said that when business leaders focus on themselves, and it's pretty clear that they're focused on themselves, no one is inspired. People will still work for you or for your company, but they'll work for you for the money. But he says, if your why is focused on others, if your why is focused on a great cause, then people will work for you with their blood, their sweat, and their tears. Then just Donald Miller, who wrote the book Storyline, which helps people sort of identify the themes in their life and how, to, how their lives can tell a great story. He said this about the Viktor Frankl quote. Oh, wait, actually, let me just read it to you. He said, I believe Frankl was right, and I think it's actually obvious. 
Everyone around us is seeking pleasure, but pleasure rarely satisfies. In fact, the most contented people I know have found something more satisfying than pleasure. They've found a humble sense of gratitude and are actively participating in work that is difficult, beautiful, and good. What's your why? What's your why? And does it revolve around yourself? Because you can have control over this. You can decide to live for others. And you can make decisions all day long about living for the sake of others. Paul didn't measure his life based on his performance or based on his prosperity. Paul's life was based on his ability to serve others with his life. That's why Paul was willing to suffer all that he suffered. He knew that if he could see others being served, then no matter what he was doing, he was a success. And this is what Jesus intended for us when he said this in Mark 8, 34 and 35. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is saying here, if you live for yourself, your life will not deliver. It will not work. But if you live for others, you can be happy. If you live for others, you can be happy. And so leaders who serve, they are the ones, they're worth following. And this is God's design. This is what leadership is in God's mind. Leaderships, God's design for leadership is that leaders would serve others. Right? Mark 10, 43, Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. All the authority that you have at home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, with your friends, people that you influence, all of that authority you need to use to serve others. This is part of Paul's why. This is what drove Paul. And he invites us to follow him. Timothy has been caught up in everything but this. Paul's calling him back. So again, what is your why? Why are you living? Are you living for others? Um, Who are you living for? I actually want you to write something down. You can write this in your bulletin, under the scriptures, or if there's room on on the page for notes. Write your why. Say, I want to live for others. And then answer, who are my others? Right? In three places. At home, at work, in your neighborhood. Who are my others? And if you aren't serving anyone now, um, who do you think they should be? So we see here that uh, as Paul describes his why, that he lived for others, um, he actually says that uh, he endures all things for the sake of the elect. Talks about the elect, and I feel like we need to stop a minute and talk about the elect. Um, The Bible defines the elect as the people God has chosen to save. Okay, election is the Bible's teaching that even though the world has turned from God and has gone its own way, 
God has chosen in response to save people. That's the Bible's teaching on election. And most people that, uh, well, most people think about election um, and they sometimes see this as God choosing to save some, but not others. Right? And most discussions about election end up devolving into this discussion not about what God has done, but it's more about what God hasn't done. And so the major criticism can be said as why doesn't God choose everyone to be saved? Right? If God chooses people to be saved and not everyone is saved, then why doesn't God choose to save everyone? The Bible actually doesn't answer that question. Okay? There are some things the Bible speaks to and some things that it doesn't speak to. Um, Someone from yesteryear used to say, when the Bible's silent, we should be too. Um, And there's wisdom there. Um, So the Bible doesn't answer that question, but here are two balanced truths regarding election. Okay, there are two things the Bible does say about election. Number one, without election, no one would be saved. Okay, no one would be saved. If God didn't elect to save then no one would be saved. John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay? No one can come. There's an inability for anyone to be able to come unless God draws. Okay, John 6, And it's, it's God's extravagant grace that he would save anyone. Right? None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us. Not even one. This is why we say salvation is by grace alone. So I'll be saying God's grace um, in salvation. So that's the first thing the Bible says. That without election, no one will be saved. And then the second thing the Bible says is that salvation requires only trust in Jesus. Okay, the Bible says that the only thing standing between a person and salvation is trusting in Jesus. John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So there is a universal call to everyone. The only thing that stands between anybody and experiencing salvation is if they acknowledge their thirst and they come to Jesus so that it can be satisfied. So how do you know if you are elect? Well, it's pretty simple. If you're trusting in Jesus, then you are elect. At least that's what the Bible would say. If you're trusting in Jesus, that's what we look for. If you're trusting in Jesus, then you will know that God has saved you. And so the only thing for people to determine is whether they want to believe or not. Anyone who wants to come can. Anyone who wants to come can. Now, as we talk about elections, you begin to think about this. A lot of people hear that God elects, and their response is, well, if that's true, then nothing that I do matters. God elects, so it's all determined. And this is where people get phrases like the frozen chosen, right? They believe in election, and they just sit down and do nothing, because God's going to take care of it all. That is exactly the opposite of what of how Paul reacts to the doctrine and the teaching of election. 
And it's interesting because a lot of times arguments about things can actually keep us from understanding what the Bible actually says. And so when people argue about election, they can sometimes lose sight of what the verses that talk about election actually teach. And so I want us to take a look here at this passage and see. I want you to see the impact that the teaching of election had on Paul. Okay, what he says in verse 10, he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's conviction, right, the why behind Paul's life is that, uh, the, is that because God saves people, I am going to do everything I possibly can with every ounce of my strength to see that they are saved. So some people think, well, election means what I do doesn't matter. But for Paul, it was the opposite. Paul said, if God actually saves people, then I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that happens. I mean, election gave Paul the assurance that his efforts wouldn't be in vain. Election made Paul think, if I do all of this, the result is that people will be saved. And so he got assurance from this. Paul knew that God had chosen some to be saved, and so Paul knew that we then have the privilege of finding them and introducing them to Jesus. It's what he says here. We're like hosts. We're like hosts who invite and welcome people into God's family. God chooses them, and then we get to find out who they are. Lose this. We'll go to the next slide. Have you all seen these Twitter handles? Right, hidden cash and SD cash dash. Have you all seen this? So these are two Twitter handles that are live right now and they're gaining popularity. Um, hidden cash, I think, has almost 400,000 followers on Twitter. Um, this is a person who decided to begin to leave 100 to $150 in envelopes in major cities in California. Put the money in the envelope, would leave the envelope somewhere, and then would post on his Twitter handle where the envelope was. Um, and then SD Cash Dash is a, it's a duplicate, someone who's copying this, one per- this other person. SD is better, though, because it's all in San Diego. He's better for us. Folks, there are tens of thousands of people in California who are searching for these hidden treasures. Okay? They are actively waiting to be the first person to get the tweet from one of these two handles. And then they go bolting out. I saw a video of hundreds of people combing the beach sand like digging with their hands under the sand, trying to find one of these envelopes. These people know that the money is out there and they are enthusiastically searching because they want to be the ones who find it. Friends, that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying here that we have an opportunity to search for the elect. These are God's hidden treasures and we get to find them. 
We get to find them. Now, how do we do that? Well, this is our next point. So Paul's mission was to live for others, or Paul's why was to live for others. Our second point, next slide. My battery ran out. Um, Our next point is that in Paul's why, he lived on mission. He lived for others, and he lived on mission. Paul's mission, Paul's why, was wrapped up in the mission of God. He says this at the end of verse 10. He says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul's why was to live for others so that they would know Jesus and experience his salvation. So leaders who are worth following, they're devoted to a mission. Right? This is what made Paul able to endure everything. In Paul's mind, if he could see through his efforts the elect being saved, if he could see God's elect experiencing salvation, then his circumstances do not matter. Are you with me? In Paul's mind, he was driven by this why, and in Paul's mind, if his life was bringing the elect salvation... And so that means non-Christians coming to faith in Jesus and Christians who were deepening in their understanding of Jesus and experience of their salvation. If that was going on in Paul's life, his circumstances didn't matter. Talk about freedom, right? How would you love to be in a place where you could say, I am happy no matter what my circumstances are? I mean, what a gift, What an amazing blessing. Paul says the key to getting that is living with his. Why? It's living on God's mission. I mean, I think Paul would even go a step further and say if the mission's being served, if the why is growing, then the circumstances are great, even if you're in prison. Let me show you how Paul evaluated this. Next slide. Philippians 1, 12-14, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's happened to him? He's in jail. (laughs) He's in prison. It's not the same prison sentence that he's serving now with 2 Timothy, but it's one that he served before. And he's saying that this prison sentence has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul saw that in his imprisonment, the gospel was advancing. The elect were obtaining the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. His imprisonment served to advance the gospel. In verse 13, he sort of gives a few ways this is happening. In verse 14, he says, The brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Because Paul was willing to endure suffering and stay true to his faith, other people are bolder. They're saying, wow, if Paul is going that far, man, I could go out at least a little bit farther, right? If Paul is way out here on the edge of the branch and it's safe for him and he's still honoring, he's still celebrating Jesus, then maybe I can let go of the trunk with my arms and legs and take a step and maybe share some of what I believe about Jesus with the people that I know and love. 
Right? It's possible also that the boldness is coming that, hey, it's easy to preach the gospel when things are going great, right? when you're making money, when the church is supporting you, all this kind of stuff. But when you're suffering in prison and you don't give up, man, maybe there's something to this after all. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's not just Paul trying to make a buck or manipulate people. So it made people bold. They knew that the gospel was real because Paul is willing to suffer for it. And so then they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So this is what happens. So people are getting a deeper experience of their own salvation. They're being more bold. They're not ashamed of Christ. Right? They are expressing and experiencing more of their salvation because of Paul's imprisonment. And then, verse 13, it's become known to the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul's saying, Jesus is now being preached to the imperial guard. The imperial guard is hearing about Jesus. You know who the imperial guard are? These are the guards of the emperor. Right? The emperor was Caesar. Right? Caesar, who roamed his Roman Empire, declaring in all kinds of ways that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. He would build statues of himself everywhere. So people would be reminded that he is Lord, and they would remember whose empire this is. And the people that were closest to Caesar, the people who were protecting Caesar and guarding him, they were now hearing another message that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so people are hearing this. And guess what? They're not just hearing this, but they are obtaining the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Next slide. In Philippians 4, 22, this is how Paul ends. And i got to believe he had a smirk on his face when he said this. All the saints greet you, church in Philippi, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Caesar's family. Caesar's servants. Maybe some of Caesar's guard. There are people who are living with Caesar who are declaring that Caesar isn't Lord, but Jesus is. Because Paul was in prison. Because Paul was in prison, the gospel is getting closer and closer and closer to the one at that time who had all of the power. And it took a couple of hundred years or a few hundred years. But in the 300s, Caesar finally bowed the knee. Man. So even in Paul's imprisonment, Paul could see that the gospel was winning. This is why he was celebrating. This is why when he writes to Timothy as he's in this prison where he's stuck to the sewer system and he could die or get his head chopped off, why he's celebrating God, why he is successful and he's happy because his why, his mission is being fulfilled. This is what he means. This is why he says verse 9. This is why he says I'm bound, but God's word is not bound. The gospel is advancing, it's winning, it's growing, even in the midst of his suffering. 
Friends, if you would take on Paul's why, if you live for others and you live on mission, you can be successful no matter what your circumstances are. So, how do we live on mission, right? For us, what does that look like? How do we live on mission? Well, what's Paul doing? Next slide. Next slide. How do we live on mission? Again, this is what Paul's doing. Number one, show the gospel in your actions, your attitudes, and your relationships. Right? And then second, share the gospel so that others can know Jesus and experience the fullness of his salvation. Right? It's showing and sharing. Show the gospel in your life. Share the gospel with those you love. Love people so much that they would understand and be blessed by the gospel through you. So I want you to go back to your list from before. Right, your list of who you're serving or who you feel like you should be serving. How are you showing and sharing the gospel with them? Think about it at home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. How are you doing this? How can you do this? How can you show the gospel through your attitudes, your actions, in your words, in your relationships? And then how can you share the gospel? Have you ever thought that God has chosen you so that His elect might obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus? No matter who you are, no matter what your calling is, no matter what you do for a living or where you live or what you've done or what your past is like, this is part of all of our calling. God wants to use every single one of us so that his elect might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I mean, the why of our lives can be, if you choose to make it that way, it can be that, you know what, why do we exist? We exist for the sake of others, that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And how can you do that? How can you help others obtain the salvation? I want you to think that through. I think that, <clears throat> that oftentimes... Oftentimes, we need to share, well, not oftentimes, most of the time, we need to share what we've experienced. I think sometimes we don't share because we feel like we don't have anything to share. Right? Have you obtained the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? Right? What have you experienced of the gospel? What have you experienced the blessings of knowing Jesus? You should make a list of those things. You should write down so that you can think through how much of the good news have you experienced. Have you experienced Christ's work for you? Right? His forgiveness. His adoption. Right? And if you have, then what difference does that make in your life? You want to think through that because 
That's part of the salvation that you've obtained. And it's what you can share with others. We think about Christ's work in terms of his work for us, in us, and through us. For us is, again, justification and adoption, right? Forgiveness and acceptance with God. Christ's work in us, this is regeneration. This is how God gives us a new spirit and a new heart, a renewed mind, and we become new creatures in Christ, right? And it's God's presence in us. Have you experienced that? You know, write that down. These are things you need to dwell on. You need to say, hey, wait a second. I have experienced this salvation. That's something that you can share. You can help others to obtain what you have experienced. Because you can describe it for them. I want to remind you, next slide, of this quote again. There's two great days in a person's life. The day they were born and the day they discovered why. Why were you born? Why were you, are you willing to take Paul's why? Are you willing to commit to living for the sake of others so that they might experience the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? Don't live as people who are trying to get a mission or who are trying to get a why. Live as those who have already been given a mission and a why. That's what this whole series has been about. We can look over it. Next slide. I mean, from the beginning of this chapter, we've seen that leaders worth following, they're strong in grace. That's part of the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. They multiply themselves in others. That's Christ's work through them as they disciple other people. Right? They focus on the mission. Right? They're devoted to the mission and to the why. Right? They live God's rules. Right? They don't try to invent ways to serve God. They just do it the way He says. They work hard. They stop. And they have time where they contemplate with God. They remember the gospel. And they know why they exist. They know why they exist. These verses, you can go back over and over and over again. You can listen to the messages online if you missed any of them. But these are the tools. Like These are the things that Paul wants to plant inside of us so that we can become people that are worth following. Um, this week in our life group, we broke up into smaller groups and uh, we spent time talking about what our experiences have been of God. And we went around in our little group and each person shared what they have seen God do in their life. Um, sort of in a sort of zoom out, Google Earth kind of thing where you zoom out and you sort of look at the high points of what has God done? How have you seen God show up in your lives? And what was amazing to me was that by the time we were done, there were six of us, so, so me and five others, by the time that we were done and we went to pray and to thank God, for what he's done and to look for God to do more in these areas, I felt like I was on holy ground. Because what had just been shared was an expression of the salvation that these folks have obtained in Christ Jesus. And because they've experienced it, they could share it with others. And so just specifically, um, if you need to grow more patient and loving, 
If you need uh, a deeper desire to know God, there is someone in my life group who can help you with that. If you need to learn how to be reliant on God and not on yourself, even when you're alone and you have no one else, there's someone in my life group who can help you obtain that part of the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. If you seek after God and feel like he never shows up and you need to get to a place, if you want to know how, when you seek God, he'll respond, there's someone in my life group who can help you with that. If you have been through a radically dysfunctional family and have seen God work in your life and show up and bring you through radical dysfunction, there is someone in my life group who can help you obtain that part of the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. And if you, if you want to know how God can use you to start new things, to start ministries, to start organizations, there is someone in my life group who can tell you how God has done that through them. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think about it like that, when you realize that, you know what, we have experience. I mean, I don't know what your experience with God has been like, but man, if we could sit down, we could talk about that. If you're in a life group, you could talk about that in your life group. Right? If you have friends and, and discipling relationships, you can have the conversation, how have I seen God at work in my life? And that can be the beginning. What you've experienced, share that. Share that. Have that tie in with your why. That you can exist both for the sake of others so that they, so you'd live on mission so that others would know, others would know the salvation that can be theirs or that is theirs in Christ. God wants us this week to be on the hunt, to look for hidden treasure. Are you willing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, God, for the way that you worked in the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his example. Thank you not just for what he did, but for why he did it. Because all of us who have experienced salvation, we all have something to share. Jesus, would you please, would you please help us to identify what we have experienced from you? And then would you give us opportunities to share that with others? This week, this week, God, we want to be on the lookout. We want to have our eyes open. So please open up doors of opportunity for us to share the good news, to share what we've experienced with others at home, in the workplace, in our neighborhood, here in the church and outside. Father, we want, we want to be used by you to reach out to find your elect. And so let us be driven this week. And Jesus, you know there are people here who haven't yet put their faith in you. There's people here who are struggling and their why looks very, very different from Paul's. Would you invite them? Jesus, would you help them to understand the good news that all they need to do is confess their sins, trust in you, and their thirst can be quenched.
Oh, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.